engine running. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. Oh my, sorry. I, I just went to the AJC. Donnie Bellina. Uh, he owns a small business, was an unsuccessful candidate for mayor of Sandy Springs, and was running for Congress in the 6th. Was. Keyword there. Welcome. It's Eric Erickson here. Atlanta's Evening News on WSB. The phone number, if you want to be a part of the program, 404 872 wsb talk Apparently, Donnie Bellina identified himself uh, as a white nationalist, and he was persuaded thereafter to drop out of the race. Uh, He says some of it was self-inflicted, some of it wasn't. My account was hacked. Things have taken place. Uh, Okie dokie. He's he's out of the race now. Um, Not going to be there. Interesting, interesting. Um, uh, He apparently has dropped the word nationalist, uh, has created a Facebook page for the ultra-conservative party, it's a closed group with 3,102 members. All righty then. Well, exciting times. We, we have other news about politics of the state. By the way, um, in the 5 o'clock hour, I am going to... I, I interviewed Governor Brian Kemp earlier today. And stick around. Uh, I will play you that. We talked about the teacher pay raises. Uh, we talked about the economy. We talked about cybersecurity. He signed an executive order requiring government employees in Georgia to take some training on cybersecurity. You'd be surprised at the number of people who uh, set their password as password, like the word password is their password. And others who they get a, a message and they say, oh, your account's been hacked. Click here to reset your account. And they, that's actually the hack. Um, so he wants government employees to be trained on this. We are in the 21st century for sure. Talk to him about that. We will get to all of that. Uh, we, we have new news here in the Jim Beck situation as well. A federal grand jury, this from the AJC, a federal grand jury has added more charges against suspended Georgia Insurance Commissioner Jim Beck. He was facing accusations that he swindled his former employer out of $2 million in part to fund his campaign. The grand jury added an additional count of mail fraud and four new counts of aiding and assisting in the preparation of false tax returns for 2014 through 2017 tax years. The new indictment alleges that Beck used the Postal Service to receive money under fraudulent pretenses. Additionally, Uh, According to the indictment, uh, it lists more than a million dollars worth of false business expenses on tax returns for two of his businesses, Creative Consultants and the Georgia Christian Coalition, in an effort to conceal $2 million in his embezzlement scheme, according to the U.S. Attorney's Office. So what's happening here? Let let me explain to you. In May, you'll recall, Jim Beck was indicted by B.J. Pack, the, um, the U.S. Attorney, for the Northern District of Georgia, Donald Trump appointee, good Republican. He was a Republican in the state legislature. He's thought of very, very highly in legal circles across the board. He's a very straight shooter, and he doesn't do indictments unless he thinks he's got an airtight case. And he indicted Beck on 38 counts, accusing him of an elaborate scheme to steal from the Georgia Underwriters Association. 
Well, now they've expanded it uh, relating to the, um, oh, what is it, the the arson. Yeah, the, the Georgia Arson Control Program, where Beck also served a role. So here's what I'm told happened. By people familiar with the case, um, who have knowledge of the case, that, that's how I'm allowed to describe them. They would very much like for Jim Beck to plea, to admit he did it, to go to jail for a short term and be done. I am told by people who think they have an understanding of this case, however, uh, Beck's wife is ill. I believe she has cancer. The reason he hasn't stepped aside altogether from the insurance commissioner's office, frankly, is he makes $120,000 a year and gets health care benefits. Now, people who worked for Beck in the insurance commissioner's office have said, you know, when he came in, he fired a number of people, some of whom had real medical needs uh, in their family with insurance. So they're not very sympathetic to this. Um, but essentially, the, the U.S. attorney is alleging he stole a lot of money, essentially, from taxpayers. And $2 million and then used part of that money, allegedly, to fund his race for insurance commissioner. But Beck won't resign. He needs the benefits, uh, and he's not going to plead because he doesn't want to go to jail. And my understanding from talking to people familiar with this case is that uh, the U.S. attorney is offering nothing less than some jail time. I don't know what, but some jail time. And Beck is refusing. He says he's going to fight. And so the U.S. attorney essentially said, look, uh, you take the plea, you go to jail, you, you step down, you go to jail, take the plea or I'm going to throw the book at you. And they didn't want to take the plea, so he's going to jail. That That is, I, I have not talked to the U.S. attorney, and I have not talked to Beck's legal defense team. I am led to believe these things by talking to people who do have knowledge of the situation. Just to be clear here, I'm not talking to either side. Neither side is whispering to me. Um, but uh, <laughs> lots of people are talking about this case behind the scenes and, and uh, have understandings of it. So these new indictments, Beck's going to fight it in court. In fact, his attorney says, let me read you, in fairness to Jim Beck, let me read you his uh, lawyer statement. Jim strongly maintains his innocence and he denies the new charges. He does not intend to succumb to the new government's, uh, to the government's pressure to get him to admit to wrongdoing he did not commit. He is justifiably proud of the work that he did at the Georgia Underwriters Association. Any accusation that he defrauded GUA or the Georgia Arson Control Program is false. Jim looks forward to presenting his case to a jury and clearing his good name, but there is a catch. The U.S. Attorney has filed a superseding indictment and in the new indictment uh, it says that Beck served as the chief financial officer of the Georgia Arson Control Program which is a subsidiary of the Underwriting Association and is partially funded by the Underwriting Association. It's a nonprofit dedicated to fighting arson and celebrating the efforts of Georgia's first responders according to the U.S. Attorney's Office. In fact, the insurance commissioner serves as the state's fire marshal, so directly connected there. Well, here, here's the thing. The new indictment says that in connection with Beck's campaign for insurance commissioner, he fraudulently used the Georgia arson control program to pay for 1,500 campaign signs. Very specific information. It says that on January 11th, 2018, Beck received a $4,271 check from the program through the mail in violation of mail fraud statutes. And it says uh, Beck aided and assisted the preparation of false tax returns 
The documents overstated business expenses and understated business profits for the Christian Coalition and Creative Consultants. Now, here's the thing, though, that this is this is really the, the big thing here is that there are multiple suggestions in the indictments that some of Jim Beck's friends are talking that they didn't know stuff was going on, that they trusted Jim Beck. The U.S. attorney is not indicting other people. Thus far that we know, there are no other people being indicted. But there are lots of suggestions, if you read through the old indictment and the new indictment, that some of Jim Beck's friends may turn on him and testify against him, and that would not be good for him. Uh, we'll see if that bears out, but right now it's it's not a good situation uh, I, I do understand why he doesn't want to resign, given the health situation in his family, but I think he probably ought to. Um, but maybe he should have taken a deal with the U.S. attorney. Uh, you, you, everyone's allowed to maintain their, their innocence. Everyone is innocent until proven guilty. I'm just saying this U.S. attorney doesn't pull punches, and he's pretty good. So uh, that's the Jim Beck situation. We also have a Stacey Abrams situation. i got to play you this audio from Stacey Abrams. This is really, really, really rich as Stacey Abrams. Listen to this. Do you want to be vice president? Well, Fair Fight 2020 is essential for every single thing that we want to accomplish in 2020. It's about making sure that we have a level playing field and that we are not fighting voter suppression one single-handedly. But what I do want to say is that my focus is on making sure that we use the primary to build for the general. If, however, a nominee decides that they would like to include me on the ticket, I would certainly be open to that. But my focus and my mission is to make certain that no matter who our nominees are, that we have in place the kind of robust response, but also anticipatory offense to make sure that the right to vote is sacrosanct in every one of those battleground states. So now, wait a second. You know, I, I got to say, I agree with some friends of mine who have pointed out that she's willing to consider it if offered. If so, she wants to go fight for the vote, blah, 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 doing a new charity, send her money, grifter's got a grift. Uh, but if somebody wants to offer her a vice presidential ticket, she would be perfectly willing, happy, able, excited to become vice president. Do you all remember what she did to Joe Biden? I mean, I, listen, I, I heard Hannity saying the polling now has Warren and Biden tied uh, and that people may be moving on from Biden. I don't think they are. And if Biden is the nominee, do you think he's going to come to Abrams after after the Abrams campaign essentially threw him under the bus? Biden, remember, you'll recall, I think it is true. Biden wanted to come out and already have a ticket built. He wanted to have uh, a running mate already. He wanted to show the future. He wanted it to be Stacey Abrams. They offered it, and the, the Abrams campaign people blasted him. And now she's like, oh, yeah, if somebody wants me to be VP, I'm happy to be VP. I don't think that's going to go over so well. Also, I don't think it'll happen. I mean, she lost. I mean, I realize Democrats like to call her governor, but she's not. She she couldn't win Georgia. The Democrats believe Georgia's in play. They're going to pick as a running mate the person who lost the state in a year the Democrats thought they may have a shot. Probably not. Okay, let's talk about blinds for just a minute. And I'm actually excited to have blinds.com be an advertiser because I'd actually been thinking of using them for a while. 
the reason is because my wife and I, we've got some uh, blinds in our house that are shutters, actually, and I don't know if they warped or what, but they don't even close anymore. Blinds.com makes it easy to replace them. Got 15 million windows covered and over 30,000 five-star customer reviews. It's America's number one online retailer for affordable, quality, custom window coverage. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, let me explain to you what happens. They make the whole experience fast and easy, and every order gets free samples, free shipping, and a free online design consultation. So you send them pictures of your house. They send you back custom recommendations from a professional on what's going to work with your color scheme, your furniture, your specific room. They'll send you free samples to make sure everything looks as good in person. If you've got existing blinds like we do, you take a picture of them, you send them to them, and they can match them up. If you accidentally mismeasured, you picked the wrong color, well, if you make a mistake, Blinds.com is going to remake your blinds for free as well. So this is a great way to upgrade your house. For a limited time, my listeners get $20 off at Blinds.com. If you use promo code ERIC, that's Blinds.com, promo code ERIC for $20 off. You get faux wood blinds, cellular shades, roller shades, a whole lot more. We were able to replace some that whoever built this house put in and they buckle, they warped. I don't even know where they came from, but Blinds.com was able to get us things that look just like everywhere else in the house. They did a great job. You go to Blinds.com, use promo code ERIC. Rules and restrictions apply. It is Eric Erickson here, Atlanta's Evening News. Want to be a part of the program? 404-872-0750, 1-800-WSB-TALK. At the bottom of the hour, we got the inverted yield curve yesterday in the stock market. It has presaged every recession for the last 50 years. Uh, you've got economists now starting to wonder, worry, fret. Uh, Janet Yellen, former chair of the Federal Reserve, had this to say. Are we going into a recession? So I think the answer is most likely no. I think that the U.S. economy has enough strength to avoid that. But the odds have clearly risen, and they're higher than I'm frankly comfortable with. Yeah, and today the stock market, just so you know, rebounded a little bit after the 800-point drop. It was up. Uh, 99 points, uh, 99.97 points today. That amounts to a, what, 0.39% increase in the Dow Jones after the worst point loss yesterday. Uh, so I want to talk to Chris Burns when we come back about all of this. In the meantime, I, I got some audio for you I want to play. Uh, UGA, uh, going back to school, going to really talk to freshmen this year about mental health on campus. Uh, this is actually from the... Uh, I think it's the CBS, CBS or NBC, I can't remember, a station in Charlotte, North Carolina that actually ran this about UGA. Basically, 7,000 freshmen, right when they get to campus at the University of Georgia, are going to go through the mental screenings. There's going to be 14 booths set up, and university officials are saying they're hoping this will shift the culture and help prepare the students once they get to school for the very first time. Topics they're going to talk about, sexual assault, binge drinking, homework, making friends, the workload. A couple students have been a part of this initiative, and we have a clip for you this morning that explains. You really don't know how to handle all the stress and all the workload. So this event kind of does both things. It teaches you how to prepare and and get ready for all the stress that's about to happen but and handle it. Good for them for trying this. I don't know how they're going to get 7,000 7, students through 14 booths, but we will see. Uh, good effort for them. I've talked to so many college professors and, and 
administrators who are friends of mine who say they're seeing more and more kids come to campus completely unprepared for life on campus. And unfortunately, that typically means they head off to drugs also or, or alcohol. Also, Sports Illustrated saying UGA is the best college football mascot. Sorry, Auburn and Georgia Tech. Y'all aren't on the top 10 list at all. But Mike the Tiger is. It is Eric Erickson here, Atlanta's Evening News. How are you? Hope you guys are well. The phone number here is 404-872-0750-1800. WSB Talk. Joining me now by phone, uh, the head of Dynamic Money. You can hear him here every Sunday morning. Chris Burns, how are you? Man, I'm fantastic. I have a little bit of whiplash from the market the last few days. But other than that, I'm, I'm doing great. Well, you, you? you know, you you and I were talking about this earlier this morning, too, that we had this big tank in the market, 800 points yesterday, the inverted yield curve. Everybody freaks out. And now today the market's closed and it's up 99 points, um, 99.97 to be accurate. So uh, what's going on? You know, honestly, my theory is John Hickenlooper pulling out of the race has changed everything. <laughs> yeah, probably uh, so. The, 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 no, yeah, no, you know, it's, it, this is the interesting thing. So we have this inverted yield curve, and we can dig deep into what all that means. But basically, there's signs, again, that we've historically looked at for recession indicators. And because we're sitting here on the longest bull market in history, Everyone and their brother is looking for that, right? They're looking for when is this going to turn around and become miserable and we're going to see a 2008-type experience. And here's what they don't tell you. Um, for instance, that, that recession indicator, which uh, hit its lowest point uh, ever in history, okay, um, the lowest point before this was two years ago. So let me ask you, have we had a recession in the last two years? No, right? But two years ago, it was the exact same thing. We had an inverted yield curve, which would have suggested historically a recession, but guess what? No recession happened. And so we're gonna jump on, you're gonna see news media jump on anything they can do to try to say, oh my word, doom and gloom, you know, the worst is coming because it's good ratings. And because honestly, they know everyone's a little bit worried. We're sitting on the longest bull market in history. This thing's gonna turn around, but I gotta tell you, zero people zero people have any clue when that's going to happen and if you want the proof of that how many folks two days ago said that yesterday was going to be the biggest drop of the year how many incredible folks with predictions talking heads on you know financial stations were saying watch out tomorrow's the day and the answer is zero because none of us can predict what's coming in the market and so this week if, if you've been watching like the wall street journal it's literally one day, it's holy cow, the massive drop, drop in the market, and so-and-so says it's the beginning of a warning sign for a massive recession. Then you read it this morning, and it's, hey, we had good consumer spending in America uh, in July, and so actually things are kind of looking better, and it, 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 it just feels like whiplash. You cannot get caught up in that because it will drive you crazy. Okay, so if you get caught up in it, it drives you crazy. But what can you do? Um, what should people be doing? I mean, age-wise, you're, you're, I'm, so I'm 44. What should I be doing? What should somebody in their 30s be doing right now when you, you hear all this stuff? Yeah, so here's the deal. You hear planners talk about this all the time, and, and you hear it so much that it can get old where they say it really is about your specific situation. But let me say it really is. Okay, so think about it this way. 
if you're nearing retirement, I've told this story before. I, I had a, a client who is uh, now a client of mine. He was not back in 2008, but he retired at the end of 2007, and he was an aggressive person. So he said, I'm going to stay aggressive, and his planner at that point said, that's great. You have plenty of money. The market's been fine. Go for it. And then in 2008, he lost over 40% of his holdings, had to go back to work, and is still working to re-retire. So folks that are nearing retirement, regardless of when the market drops, we know it will because we're in the longest bull market in history. It's going to. You need to adjust your risk, not because of fear of today's news cycle, but because you need to have a plan that works when the market drops, whether it's tomorrow or two years from now. Flip side is, if you're in your 30s or 40s, the market dropping could be the very best thing that ever happened to you. And just think about gas for a minute. Uh, would you rather pay you know, $2 a gallon for gas or $4 a gallon? Right now, the market's been so high, you're paying a lot to be in it. But if it drops, you can buy more for cheap. And then when it takes off again, it might literally transform your portfolio. So it's not one size fits all. So in your case, being 44 or somewhere in that range, I'm saying closer to 40, and you're still closer to 40 than 50, we'll go with that, uh, that, that you truly should be in a place where the market dropping isn't a scary thing for your retirement because you have plenty of time. It should actually be, you know what? This is an opportunity for me. But that's very different if you're 60. Chris, um, real quick for you before you get out of here, we've got this global economic situation now where I'm reading more and more Western economists think that China is essentially cooking its own books and it's not doing as well as, as it claims. You've got sure. the European issue with Brexit. you, you got all of these things working at play right now for the global economy. So if, you were, if you're advising someone coming in, you don't obviously want to play the news cycle, but what are you looking at lay of land-wise that people should pay attention to? Yeah, I'm going to be so annoying on this. I'm sorry. Um, because I literally, people will always actually say that. They'll say, they'll, they'll always preface it with, now I know you can't predict, <laughs> but... And then they you know, ask, you could have put you the predict, period after right? I'm going to be annoying, period. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I know you can't predict, but, but here's the deal. I mean, every shred of evidence has shown that predictions are worthless here. And we know that. I mean, the best example of this goes back to 2016, President Trump coming in, because everything pointed to, I mean, it's crazy. You read the articles about how the world was going to end economically and the market was going to crash in a way we've never seen before if he was elected. And election night even, everything on the TV was Dow futures are tanking and the world's gonna end. And then the next day, we saw one of the largest surges in the market that was sustained that we've ever seen, right? Mm -hmm. No prediction was right. Go back to 2008, how many folks were saying you were gonna have the worst drop since the Great Depression? So here's the deal, it's got to be about you. And so it's got to be sit down with a financial planner, sit down with someone who's going to look at your situation and say, look, not because of anything going on in the world, because it could change on a dime and it does, but because of where you are at, you are five years from retirement, for instance, this is how much risk you can take. You could, you could, you could handle this kind of loss. So we're going to make sure that you're invested in such a way that in the worst case scenario, your plan still works. And if you, if you look at it that way, suddenly you are totally off the treadmill because you don't have to sit and try to watch and figure out, well, what's the market going to do? Because the market is not logical. I was reading Paul Krugman, actually, 
uh, you know, Nobel laureate uh, liberal economist was writing about how he didn't understand why the market was moving so much based on what was going on with trade with China. And the answer is because the market's not logical. The market mm -hmm. is literally millions of different decision makers making decisions. And so if you see a crowd running in a certain direction and they look scared, you're probably going to join them, even if you don't know what you're running from. That's why the market can suddenly turn on a dime because people are going to move with the crowd. So you've got to get out of that and say, what am I going to do to make sure it fits my situation? All right, Chris Burns, if people want to find out more about you and, and from you, where do they go? Dynamicmoney.com. They can listen to all of our past shows, ask any question, and certainly sign up for a free consultation to talk about their specific situation. Fantastic. Chris Burns, thanks very much for stopping by. Again, dynamicmoney.com. You can also listen to Chris here on Sunday mornings on WSB. It is Eric Erickson here, Atlanta's Evening News. Travis in Fayetteville, how are you? Hey, Eric, I'm great. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. Uh, I called because I, I keep hearing it's mostly politicians of a certain persuasion and certain judges complaining about alleged vulnerabilities in our election system. Right. And I'm assuming that this judge that decided this most recent case cited something in her over 100-page report. So I'm just wondering if you can speak to this. What is the concern here? Like, what, what's going on with the machines? Um, they believe that the machines are vulnerable to hacking. Uh, now, they're not actually connected to the Internet, uh, but they think that people could possibly use a, a, you know, hey, you have to stick a card in the machine to control the machine to get it to vote, that they could somehow rig the machine in some way, or if they uh, loaded the machines into the central server to tabulate the results that something could happen there. Really, it, it's just uh, scare scenarios here. Uh, it's It's... It's a nonsensical complaint, and, and just for the record, she is the the sister of, of Nina Totenberg, the left-wing NPR reporter. She is an Obama appointee, so there is certainly some liberal activism going on as well uh, that people do need to be mindful of, uh, but uh, they lost. The voting machines will go forward for the uh, local elections this year, and then the new machines come into effect next year for the elections. I'm looking at the account, Twitter account of Mark Nagy. He is the community relations officer for the Tennessee Department of Transportation. He's got pictures up now of the Dale Earnhardt Jr. plane crash. It's Elizabethton, Tennessee, uh, at the municipal airport there. He and his wife have made it out of the plane. According to him, local news outlets say Dale Earnhardt Jr. has been taken to a local hospital following the plane crash. Uh, the road there is closed, uh, State Route 91 at the airport. The plane carrying Dale Earnhardt Jr. was landing and skidded off the runway. I will retweet out uh, the pictures here so you can see the, the plane is, is it, it ain't good. Uh, it is a real blessing that people were able to walk out of that. Um, WSB TV as well, and WSB Radio retweeting some of these. You can be sure to follow WSB TV and WSB Radio on social media to keep up with the news anyway. When we come back, I sat down earlier today and talked to Governor Brian Kemp about his education reforms, uh, cybersecurity, and what's ahead in the economy in Georgia. I want to play you that interview.
Hello and welcome. It is Eric Erickson here, Atlanta's Evening News on WSB. If you want to be a part of the program, 404-872-0750, 1-800-WSB-TALK. This morning, I talked to Brian Kemp, the governor of Georgia. And I want to play you some of that interview with the governor from this morning. One of the things uh, we talked about is the governor's order. I mentioned here earlier, and I've talked to him on stage at the Resurgent Gathering a couple weeks ago about this. Uh, there are some warning signs on the horizon, as Chris Burns and I were talking about, that we may be headed to an economic slowdown. Um, the governor thinks that the economy in Georgia is strong, but uh, well, here's what he has to say about all this. Well, I want to make sure and, and let Georgians know that our economy remains strong and vibrant. Our revenues, you know, last year were good. We're holding our own this year. But we have some big priorities that the legislature has had in the past and things that I campaigned on that I want to fulfill in the future. And I've just always believed as a fiscal conservative that we need to budget conservatively while good times are here and not wait till something drastic happens to be able to forward our priorities for today and also our vision for tomorrow. And that's what we're doing with the budget directives that we've given for a 4% um, reduction in the amended budget and 6% in the big budget. You know, I've been through this as Secretary of State having to make almost a 20% reduction in our, you know, agency budget over there. We had to figure out how to do more with less. I, I campaigned on that. That's what government needs to do. It's what conservatives believe in, and I believe it makes for a better, more efficient government. So we've charged the agencies to do that. And I believe that if we do that, we'll be able to continue to do things like we did last year with the teacher pay raise. The legislature, as you know, uh, under Governor Deal's leadership, cut the state income tax and got us set up to do that again the first week of session next year. Uh, So that's a pretty good budget hit there. We've got to be able to afford to pay for that and also continue to keep our strong rainy day fund that we have, our reserves, and, and maintain our AAA bond rating. And I just think it's a good time to start that work. I, by the way, I did ask the governor whether or not he supports the cutting the the um, state income tax from five point seven five to five point five. He says the the state legislature they already agreed to do this. Uh, they just got to pass a resolution to do it. He will absolutely sign the the cut. Uh, if that happens. But, you know, this also goes into the issue of teacher pay raises. And economically, how on earth do we, if we're cutting $550 million out of the budget by lowering the, the uh, by a quarter point, the top income tax rate in the state, as, as some outside uh, progressive tax analysts and, and reporters are saying, well, he certainly wants to make sure we have the money to continue the teacher pay raises. I asked him about those pay raises. Here's Governor Kemp on teacher pay raises. Well, I think the good thing about the pay raises is I had promised a $5,000 across-the-board teacher pay raise to really help with the big systemic problem that we have in, in rural, urban, and suburban districts, and that's that 44% of our teachers are leaving the field within the first five years of, of practicing that great profession. And that's a problem for everybody. Um, we've got to address it. There's several ways that we address it. One of it, one of them is with pay. So we've already taken a chunk of that and got it built into the base of the budget. Um, we still have two thousand more dollars to go, uh, and we're committed to doing that. So we we can be very surgical about how we do that in the future to continue the 
to maintain our revenues, budget conservatively, and fund other priorities that we have in state government, uh, like raising taxes. So, you know, I believe that we can do both, but to do that, you know, we need our agencies to be running efficient as possible, um, you know, in case our revenues start to, you know, I don't know that we're going to have any kind of recession. There's a lot of people talking about that. That's, you know, I think we can weather our way through that. We're in a great position to do that. There's a lot of things on the world stage that we can't control. Uh, but I do think we got to be prepared where if things slow down, we can still fund our priorities, even though our revenue may not be it is positive, but it may not be as strong as it was, you know, two or three years ago. And that's what we're preparing for. And, you know, I think most Georgians agree with those priorities. And a lot of the naysayers that's coming out of some of the Atlanta media that say <laughs> we're going to be cutting education, you know, our priority is still to fund the formula for education at 100%. We did that for the second year in a row this year. Um, it's never been done before, and it's our priority to do that again. But to be able to afford to do that, we've got to have a very efficient, nimble state government. Now, in those terms, we also talked about his Common Core op-ed. Well, I should call it his Common Core op-ed. It was his teacher op-ed uh, in the Atlanta Journal over the weekend where teacher pay raises was one big issue he wanted to focus on. Another big issue he wanted to focus on was uh, reforming the state education standards that are based on Common Core right now. Well, look, the teachers that I've talked to, or at least a lot of them, have been fr- very frustrated. The parents are beyond frustrated. And you know, in my conversations with parents, with teachers, with school administrators, school board members, the thing that people worry about in education circles is us just completely jerking the rug out from under people, not getting their input, not being prepared and being methodical as we go about, you know, looking and changing standards, you know, tackling the issue of Common Core, uh, looking at the number of tests that we have, And I think what we've done a really good job of is built confidence in the education community that we're not just throwing a, you know, a hand grenade in a room and going to blow everything up. We're going to methodically go through this. There's going to be great groups that are looking at this and working in conjunction all together under the same timeline, um, the superintendents, a teacher's group, and then a citizen's group. And I just believe that if we collaborate, and people have the right attitude about how we approach this, we can come up with some good solutions to these type things that will pass the muster, that will reduce the burdens and the bureaucracy on our teachers and let them simply teach our children. They, they know what they're dealing with, Eric, in the local community better than some bureaucrat does in state or federal government. And we've got to get back to trusting them to do that and as governor i certainly do i mean we've got to have standards and we have to measure but we have so many things we're measuring now we never can stop to teach for the measurements we're doing amen to that the last thing i want to ask him about he signed an executive order uh getting some attention on cybersecurity and beefing up training for people who work for the state on cybersecurity. no look it's happening in the private sector every day it's happening in government every day and I certainly have dealt with my share of those type issues and, and have really done a lot of great things from IT technology and security perspectives when I was Secretary of State uh, with our system. So I know, you know, I have those experiences. We did mandatory training in the Secretary of State's office with our em- employees. I did it myself. Uh, you can never be satisfied with what's going on. That is a moving target. You cannot rely on one person or one agency to 
to to handle that for all of state government we got to be ever vigilant it starts with simple things like you know training to the employees that you know if you don't know where an email is coming from and you don't know what that link is just do not click on it uh do not leave your password and your you know your username and your password you know on your laptop or on your you know a sticky note on your desk next to your computer i mean just simple things like that that help with you know common sense you mean you know, like, like making your password be the word password? <laughs> yeah, I mean, and, and some of this is very simple and some of it's very complicated. Uh, the training is a big, big part for our people because a lot of these hacks and things that happen, they happen because of human error. Uh, that's in the private sector and in government. So we got to do all that we can to protect from that. But we're also engaging, uh, you know, this, this group that existed before the security panel uh, we added the folks at the Cyber Center in Augusta, who are some of the best minds in the world dealing with cybersecurity, to look at our best practices, to look at what we're doing in state government, to look at our existing security plans, and to see what we need to do in the future. And I, I think it's prudent to do this. Um, you know, we've seen way too many of these things, and we're taking the lead on making sure we're being proactive. That was Governor Brian Kemp uh, speaking to me this morning on what? On on the Eric Erickson Show, heard statewide. Uh, you guys get me here by yourselves this evening, 4 to 6 live. Everybody else gets me 9 to noon in the morning on my flagship WGAU out of Athens. But y'all are special, so be honored. If you don't know your numbers, you don't know your business. But the problem growing businesses have, and that keeps so many of them from knowing their numbers, is they have so many systems they got to use. It's just a hodgepodge network of business systems, CMSs. It's just it's a mess. Introducing NetSuite by Oracle, the business management software that handles every aspect of your business and an easy-to-use cloud platform gives you the visibility and control you need to grow. With NetSuite, you save time, money, and unneeded headaches by managing sales, finance, and accounting, orders, and HR instantly right from your desktop or your phone. That's why NetSuite is the world's number one cloud business system. And right now, NetSuite is offering you valuable insight with a free guide, Seven Key Strategies to Grow Your Profits, at netsuite.com slash eric. That's netsuite.com slash eric to download your free guide seven key strategies to grow your profits netsuite.com slash eric you want to grow your business you need to know what's going on with your business once you know what's going on with your business you need to get all the interconnected business management software pieces into one package for greater efficiency again save time money and unneeded headaches by going to netsuite.com slash eric download your free guide seven key principles to grow your profits it is Eric Erickson here, Atlanta's Evening News on WSB. The phone number is 404-872-0750-1800 WSB Talk. Beto O'Rourke. Oh, poor Beto. Beto, 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 Beto. He still wants to run for president. And I just, y'all, you really need to listen to the both of these clips. Let, let me see if I got time to, well, I'm going to play both of them. I don't know if I got time for the second one before the break, but I got to play this one. You got to hear this. Uh, Beto has decided he's going to take advantage of there being a mass shooting in El Paso, Texas. And that is his raison d'etre, his reason for being now in the campaign. At Del Sol and UMC, some of whom also serve at William Beaumont Army Medical Center, have been trained in combat trauma care. The wounds that they are seeing are like the wounds that they saw in Afghanistan and Iraq. 
These weapons, like the AK-47, were designed to kill people as effectively, as efficiently, in as great a number as possible, and that's exactly what they're doing. When you listen to the doctors describe the internal injuries of these survivors, it is absolutely horrifying. But to this point, we have a Congress too craven to act, a democracy not up to the task that favors those who can pay for access and influence and outcomes, the complicity and the silence of those who are in positions of public trust. And that's exactly what has happened here in this country. Yeah, exactly what has happened here in this country. And the crowd was remarkably quiet. I mean, a lot of people have got to be staring at Beto wondering, why aren't you running for Senate? John Hickenlooper, the former governor of Colorado, former Denver mayor, was running for president. He has suspended his presidential campaign. He's the first Democrat to drop out. I mean, we are, what, September, October, November, December. We're, we're five months from the Iowa caucuses, and he's already dropped out. Well, he's running for the Senate, probably, against Cory Gardner. Cory Gardner, the most uh, endangered Republican in Washington. But what about Beto? Why isn't he running for the Senate? Why, Beto? Why? <laughs> we'll wait till you hear. I've got a, a, a direct message from a listener and two emails from listeners all saying, stop calling him Beto. It's Robert Francis calling Bob. <laughs> Robert Francis O'Rourke of Texas uh, does not want to run for the Senate. He won- He ran for the Senate against Ted Cruz and he lost. He came close, but he lost. Well... Now, a lot of Democrats are really upset with him because he's not running for the Senate this time. He wants to run for president. So he's trying to reboot, relaunch, uh, revive his campaign for president. He, he's ghoulishly using the deaths in El Paso to do so because that's the area of Texas he's from. Here's what he has to say about running for the Senate. There have even been some who've suggested that I stay in Texas and run for Senate. But that would not be good enough for this community. That would not be good enough for El Paso. That would not be good enough for this country. We must take the fight directly to the source of this problem. That person who has caused this pain and placed this country in this moment of peril. And that is Donald Trump. again what you're listening for is the sound of silence there have even been some who've suggested that i stay in texas and run for senate but that would not be good enough for this community that would not be good enough for el paso that would not be good enough for this country we must take the fight directly to the source of this problem that person who has caused this pain and placed this country in this moment of peril. And that is Donald Trump. Hello, darkness, my old friend. I've come to talk with you again. <laughs> the sound of silence there at the end. We must take this fight to the one who's caused all of this. That is 
Donald Trump. Uh, Larry, are we supposed to clap at that? Oh. <laughs> How embarrassing for the guy. How absolutely embarrassing. This is his hometown. This is El Paso, Texas, where Robert Francis O'Rourke is from. And he he throws out red meat to him. He attacks Donald Trump and and they don't even want to applaud. Wow. <laughs> now we know why he's not running for the Senate again. Also, continuing to get word in now that, um, wait, no, hang on. I'm sorry. This is actually hitting. Is this a joke? No. This apparently is not a joke. This is this is actually hitting the wires. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> this is hitting the wires literally as I'm sitting here talking to you guys. This is the Wall Street Journal. And it is super credible report. I mean, these these are actually credible reporters. Okay, uh, I you better be, keep your hands on your steering wheel, please. Don't run off the road. President Trump made his name on the world's most famous island, Manhattan. Now he wants to buy the world's biggest. The idea of the United States purchasing Greenland has captured the former real estate developer's imagination, according to people familiar with the deliberations, who said Mr. Trump has, with varying degrees of seriousness, repeatedly expressed interest in buying the ice-covered autonomous Danish territory between the North Atlantic and Arctic Oceans. In meetings, at dinners, and in passing conversations, Mr. Trump has asked advisors whether the U.S. can acquire Greenland. Listen with interest when they discussed its abundant resources and geopolitical importance and, according to two of the people, has asked his White House counsel to look into the idea. Some of his advisors have supported the concept, saying it was a good economic play, two of the people said, while others dismissed it as a fleeting fascination that will never come to fruition. It is also unclear how the U.S. would go about acquiring Greenland, even if it was serious. Now, before you think this is some absolutely random thing, in 1946, Greenland looked like red-hot real estate to Pentagon strategists. From her shores, spies could monitor Atlantic-bound Soviet vessels. Plus, stationed troops would likely spot any incoming missiles and warn the mainland from afar. As a result, the United States considered wanting to buy Greenland then. Danish Foreign Minister Gustav Rasmussen met with James Burns, Truman's Secretary of State, and actually discussed the subject. Thanks to a 1951 NATO treaty, American bases wound up getting built on the island without it having to be built. Wait, wait, wait. My wife is texting me. Even the Greenland thing isn't as stupid as the... <laughs> I love my wife. She's listening. She never listens, and she's listening. Even the Greenland thing isn't as stupid as the blankety-blank poll that shows 67% uh, of Americans support the assault weapons ban. <laughs> Yes, that is absolutely factually true. And by the way, um, 
the Louisiana Purchase and buying Alaska turned out to be awesome strategic assets. So let's not dismiss this. Maybe we should just invade. There are only 56,000 people there. We must now turn our attention to middle Georgia, specifically to Macon, Georgia. Anyone in the listening, or this is a public service announcement, anyone who is at the raccoon or kitten event is asked to contact their doctor or your local board of health. <laughs> this is this is not quite as hilarious as buying or invading Greenland, but so there was an event down in Macon, Georgia at the Village Gallery and Studio on Ingleside Avenue near one of the best pizza places in middle Georgia, in all of Georgia, really Ingleside Pizza. They allowed participants to interact with a juvenile raccoon. The raccoon was owned by a private citizen and was then given to wildlife rehabilitation. It's dead. Turns out the raccoon had rabies. <laughs> the people were bringing their kids to pet and play with the raccoon. This was August 3rd. Then the raccoon had rabies and has already died. So if you know anyone in middle Georgia whose kids went and petted a raccoon at a raccoon or kitten event, tell them to get thee to the doctor immediately and be tested for rabies because it's a viral disease transmitted by bite or scratch, but it can also be spread by infectious material coming into contact with mucous membranes like the eyes, the nose, or an open wound. So, yeah. <laughs> wow. So now the question is, who's going to file the first lawsuit? Um, I don't know. That and invading Greenland, my friends. Uh, by the way, um, progressive activists are already online. Fury. People cannot laugh about stuff like this. People have lost their ability to just laugh stuff like this off. The president is curious about buying Greenland. His advisors say it's not going to happen. He's inquired about it, and the angry leftists are on social media outraged that the president would even consider it. Good grief. Get a life, people. Just laugh. Just laugh.